Good morning. Friday, free for all Friday. And um, it is Friday the 13th. Lots of things today. World Jihad Day. Brian, did you know that? Somebody pointed that out to me and I did some quick internet searching and I didn't really see any like reputable sources that were reporting on that. But I, you know, it was a quick search just to see what, I don't know. Is that, is that a real thing? Yeah, we're going to be uh, talking <laughs> with retired Brigadier Army General Ernie Audino later in the program and get his perspective on what's happening in the um, Middle East and uh, what should we worry about here around the world, globally, and the United States. And even here in Flagler County, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around what, you know, what, what people are thinking and such deep-rooted conflict, I guess, so it doesn't seem to go away. But anyway, it's a crazy world we live in. Joe Mullins with us here. Hey, Joe. Speaking of crazy. Yeah, speaking of, yeah. Good morning. Good morning, Flagler. Yeah. You know, it's great to, it's great to be back in the studio. Speaking and, of wild, crazy men, we have Joe Mullins here. It's been a long time. Good to see you. Yeah, I just got back from Europe, and uh, they went, are you leaving today? Are you leaving? They asked me that every morning. I didn't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't know who they didn't know about your red Ferrari and I four and in, in, uh, no Italy loved the red Ferrari. Oh, okay. Matter of fact, you know they race the Ferraris to try to pass the trains, and they cannot do it. All right, so here, well, let's uh, because we have Ernie coming on at nine thirty. So I wanted to. All right, well, here, listen, Joe Mullins. Okay, you know, to a lot of people, you kind of you were here, you were county commissioner, and um, and then you lost the election, and a lot of people say you lost it on your own. Would you agree with that because of your red Ferrari? I would. I, I think the twisted, the typical things we're dealing with, the twisted nude stories, you know, I, I've got a sense of humor. So when the cop came up and said, what do you do to drive a car like this? I did. I said, I run the county. I should have probably replied on it and said, Hey, I was just joking, but listen, I'm not going to change who I am. I almost said I was a retired drug dealer. Thank God I didn't do that. All right. Are you, are you married, divorced? What's up? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm divorced. Uh, I, the political life and moving to Florida was a little too much for my wife. She's a great woman. Uh, we went through a pretty, I don't think any divorce is good. I, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, but I would say this, we are working together. We got the court systems and the crazy stuff out of our lives and we're working together very strongly. And we got a happy eight year old that loves both parents and we're, we're doing great together. She's a heck of a woman and Hey, she put up with me for seven years. I don't know how, I don't know either. Mirac- miraculous. So, Special um, place in heaven. So where do you live? Where's your home? Some people said you moved back to Georgia. Absolutely not. Florida is one of the greatest states in the world. I go to Georgia frequently because I do own, uh, you know, millions of dollars of real estate up there. I own shopping centers, apartment complexes. Uh, I, I have a large... Well, I uh, thought you were broke. Mm, yeah, I know. Hey, you know. That was another spun story. When they, what we were trying to present to a very nasty court system is, and, and I wish we'd have never been in it, that the marital assets were insolvent. So that means what we acquired during our marriage. Just in fact, my businesses were doing phenomenal and they were dra- being drained to support the marital assets. You know, some of that legal stuff that you hate to get in. And that's why I'd encourage anyone. I did a show on it on Live Workshop Play, which originates out of out of Flagler, which is a great show. It's got millions of listeners. It's all over the country now. Matter of fact, we're in London now. Um, but I did a show on collaboration instead of litigation. And I think that's an important thing to people to sit down and try to work things out because they just get nasty, convoluted. 
But no, I'm doing fine. My sports and entertainment business has had record numbers. My real estate has had record numbers. We're doing great, and I'm very excited about them. Then some people say that, um, hey, you're going to run for office again locally. Where? Where, where, What are you thinking? I get asked all the time. Some of the biggest things I get are, Joe, we can't get anyone to call us back. We don't know what's going on. People want to deal with the issue or the problem. They just want to come in and do ribbon cuttings and wave signs and uh, do things that we just don't have that person fighting. And it's kind of similar to our country. Now, looking back on it and looking at Trump, I think we can get a lot of things solved without getting in the chaos and the weeds like our great Senator Scott does. I think he's a phenomenal guy. But um, the answer is yes, I will run again. I'm, I'm looking at a position. I, it'll be a federal position. Uh, I love Congress. I want to get up there. Matter of fact, when I was in Europe, the remover of the speaker was so embarrassing. I think we've got to get stronger people in Congress that aren't going to allow the chaos and the craziness. Uh, I've been speaking to Trump's group. I've been speaking to uh, different people. I don't know the area yet. I love Flagler. I, I still live here. I've got my home at the Hammock Resort. I also own over $10 million of rental property out there and that I bought when I was broke, <laughs> you know, last year. But uh, I love this area. I don't want to ever see it go anywhere. My kids love it. This is home. Well, so yeah. when you say a federal okay. office, what do you mean by that? I like the word Congress. Yeah, so I, you're I talking think- about House would, of Representatives. Yes, the House of Representatives. So and which, I wouldn't I and, wouldn't run against Waltz. Waltz is a phenomenal guy. I love him. He's a great representative. But there's always the there's other spots in the state that I've looked at. Uh, you guys know I love going against liberals or far the far left. I'm gonna <laughs> change the word from liberal. I've learned over time the liberals aren't bad, it's the far far left that the extremes that are causing the problems on both sides but people say that you're a far right um is in and that you're cause problems you know they say that but if you look at my lifestyle and the, what i do i i'm a, in the sports and entertainment industry i couldn't afford to be far right on there <laughs> i am uh i did cater to some of the craziness kind of like mccarthy did and then look at when they, look at how the little group of 10 went to the they, they, they galvanize the enemies and do that. So lessons learned. I mean, it's not like you want to run government like a business, but you certainly can't run it like a business because when you get in there, it's it's almost impossible. But Brian, to so, answer that question, I would probably say I'm looking at South Florida. I'm looking at Central Florida, and I'm also looking at the panhandle. Uh, but I don't know the time yet. It may be soon, it, which was we're in negotiating and talking about if this is right for me and my family. How old are you? Uh, 52, 53. I'm 53 now. But I, I also have a 17-year-old girl and a 13-year-old son that live here in Flagler now, and their mother moved down. Um, again, Brian, you, you know, as far as family and kids, the most important decision I can make right now is for my kids and doing, finishing them off the right way. So I'm trying to make sure that everything lines up right for me, business-wise and personal-wise. But yes, I will, I will go back at that and do it, and I, I love it. How, do, how does it work with, uh, like, I know, with, I know with different levels of government, you know, there's different requirements for where you live and things like that. Yeah. So if you wanted to say run for office in the panhandle, would you need to move there? Or only once you're in office, would you have to move? Or how does, the what's the rules Florida for that? The way Florida works, and, and federal is a little different, but the way Florida works is you got to reside in the place when you take office. Now, as, I'll be, as of the day when you take office. As of the office, day when yeah. you take office, yeah. And I will be 
uh, in Washington. I, you guys know as a county commissioner, I stayed in Washington fighting to bring money back, which is something that we're not doing today. We need to be doing that in Flagler. We need to be getting that money back. But I, I truly love the fact that uh, I'm in this greatest state in the world. I won't leave it, and I'll go up and fight for our country. I, after being in Europe, I realize we're in trouble. We have got some serious issues. But I, I would... Um, but I haven't ruled out Flagler yet either. I, you know, Congressman Waltz has got a great career ahead of him. And when he makes his decision, uh, I may move and make that one. But we, yes, it, it is going to occur. I'm not hiding that. And I'm not, I'm very transparent. You guys know, I, I have no filter and I say what I need to say. So <laughs> I, have no, we have I have a noticed delay that. On right now. <laughs> Our delay is on, right, Mark? Okay. Yeah, because your show is pre-recorded. By the way, you've done a good job kind of building your network of your radio show, which um, you started know, I here. to a very smart man in his own in Orlando, which Orlando got millions of listeners, people all over the world come in and go and uh, we've had many conservatives. I've, I listened to a very brilliant man and he runs a radio station in Flagler in St. St. John's. That's you, Dave, by the way, uh, if you hadn't figured <laughs> out, just say, hey, stop getting into the weeds of certain things and start talking about important things. And when we did that, the show has now broadcast in Jacksonville, St. Augustine, Volusia, Seminole. We've had guests like Senator Senator Scott reaches out and says, hey, I want to come on the show. I got a message to push. We've had the Attorney General of West Virginia. We've had Herschel Walker. We've had major sports and entertainment figures. We got a big list of people coming up. But Dave, that's because of this great radio station here in in Flagler County. It all started here. It all started here. So people will blame me now for that. (laughs) Hey, um, you you went to the, and you're in the sports business. You bring that up with sports um, and and you do, you put together, I get that for corporate and you do some, you know, real big deals with big venues and big stars and sports and all that stuff. But you went to um, London because, and we're a Jacksonville Jaguar affiliate. And I was always like, you know, and they count that as a home game. And I thought, what a ripoff to the local fans. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, when, hey, it's a home game, but it's in London. And um, so, but it's it's so important. I, I thought the same thing before I left and went to England. I thought, why are we doing it? And why do we waste a home game over here? But it is so important. Uh, and it, after being over there and what I saw, I realized what they're doing. And man, Flagler County was talked about over there. So not what, necessarily good, so, okay. but it was talked about. Well, they're not. Okay, yeah, I want to know. Okay, so the sports interaction, because the the guy that owns the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars also owns um, soccer teams, correct? A lot of the NFL teams, if you look, are starting a lot. Arthur Blank, who I work with in Atlanta with the Falcons, is, has, uh, owns the Atlanta soccer team. And uh, a lot of teams are now doing dual because of the stadiums being used and maximized. A lot of the counties are saying, hey, we put millions of dollars in it. Let's maximize it. Miami's one of them. They've got Formula One. They've got tennis. They've got the football. Soccer, I think, will head over there soon, especially with Messi. But soccer is the biggest sport in the world, in my opinion. It was huge over there. You know, and here we talk about soccer, Brian, you know, because, it, you, you know, my, uh, you know, kids, they play at the Indian trails and you go out, you can't find a parking space yeah. to no. uh, when the soccer games are going on with the kids and it's so exciting and everything. And an average me, football but, ticket is about $75 to 150 and, and an average soccer ticket is 250 starting out. But And so it shows you the demand is there. Hmm. It's unbelievable. So is, is it though? Because uh, kids play as kids and then as they get older, do they carry that on? I mean, is the demand for professional soccer in America? Because I know we, that's a big thing with Jacksonville right now. We've been talking about soccer 
so long. I, I just remember it's been decades talking about is soccer going to, you know, because so many people do, so many kids do play soccer, um, but it doesn't really seem like it's ever going to catch on like it has in the rest of the world. I mean, I don't think it's going to replace football, for example, in America as like as equal, but there's certainly a lot of interest in it. I mean, MLS has continued to grow. Um, there's a well, lot when of, they do the a lot, lot of world cup games, interest. One, one thing to tell y'all when Orlando or Atlanta does the world exhibition games, they sell out and it's all these people that come and they wear all these different jerseys, mm-hmm. kind of like our football. Um, what I found it unique is there, there was probably more fans. Atlanta and Jacksonville were there. The mayor was there from Atlanta. I was there. We got to talk. We got to talk about government and crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, when we went to the actual game at the Coliseum, at the uh, stadium that they have at beautiful Wembley, beautiful, there were as many people wearing um, New England Patriots, Dallas Cowboys, just so many. And I asked him, I said, we, we, we went live. A live workshop play went live there. We, it's recorded. You can podcast it on Flagler Radio. Um, but we talked to people, and their comments were, we just love this sport. We love the energy behind it. We want to come see it, and uh, we, we want to support our team. We don't care who comes over. So there's a lot of excitement. But I will tell you this. Don't look at them and say, this is real football. I learned that the hard <laughs> way. <laughs> So um, here's a um, Paul Hunt who works for us here at Flag of Broadcasting. He's a, um, a British guy. You hear him. He's done the, uh, uh, the the Bud Light Beach Buzz where we talk about different yeah. bars and things like that. And he um, was, you know, for the Royal Navy underwater demolitions. He lives here now. And um, I asked him to come on. He couldn't make it on here today. But he said that, and he's very British, very, he goes over there all the time. Cheerio. But he, but he, he does. Hey, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't. Came, sorry, Paul. I, didn't mean to, you know, yeah. I can't, can't really do it right. But he said that technology has changed Americans in the way they watch sports with DraftKings. It he really said has. That, that um, in, in, uh, in England, everybody still has their favorite soccer team. But here... With uh, DraftKings and fantasy sports, your vote you you want to because you you have to put in a quarterback for one team, a wide receiver for another. They could be playing each other and watching it's the like game. It's like the Pro Bowl. You're, it's like the Pro Bowl. Well, you're cheering for players now, mm-hmm. not teams. Yeah. It, it is. And one thing, to, college is doing the same thing. If you look at it by doing the players and paying them and and making it that way. But what I noticed, it is like the Pro Bowl over there. They are more team oriented. I, listen, London, I, I, you guys know I'm in sobriety and I don't drink 12 years now. If I drink and I went to London, I don't know that I'd come back. <laughs> they center their life around bars, pubs, and sports. And when you sit behind them, you literally think they're about to fight. They sound like the New York Jets and the New York Giants playing each other, screaming, yelling, cussing at each other. But then all of a sudden they start laughing and they go, go get me a beer and, and you know. And, and a pint. A pint. Yeah, a pint. <laughs> I didn't even know what a pint was. They looked at me and said, do you want a pint of Coke? And I went, a what? I said, I, would, I want a 16-ounce bottle of Diet Coke. And she goes, we got a pint. And the lady looked at me like I was crazy. And so, they drive on the wrong side of the road. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. That's yeah, crazy. I've heard that. All right, well, here, um, high-speed rail. We just talked about that here because we have um, the Brightline, um, you know, started. And Are you going to take a ride on that one, Brian? Or is that uh, I would be we happy are, to, well, but well, I don't in, know when and where well, that's supposed to They invited us to, to Compass. If you want to go, we can talk to you about that. But anyway. It's incredible. So, oh, wow. okay, but there's high-speed. There's HS1, HS2, which means how fast they go, but... Um, but 
you were on the 200 mile an hour, which is what, a high speed two, I guess, or something. It was unbelievable. 200 so, miles an hour plus. So these. the Jaguars stayed two, they played two weekends in a row. And I, we took the week and we went to Italy. And when we got to Italy, I rented a car. Immediately, I should have gotten rid of the, I did. I got rid of the car because the cars, the roads aren't made good. They're narrow. There's scooters flying everywhere. It's like missiles coming at you. <laughs> and they drive crazy. They drive like Joe Mullins, the Italian. You know, and I, I, everybody kept looking at me going, now we know why you're like you are, Joe. You're Italian and you're like these people. Tom, Tom Cruise can do it yeah it's crazy brian is crazy i i turned the car in immediately got on the train and the first thing that happened when we were going on the train is i don't know if you guys heard it the bus i'm glad i didn't because we would have been on the road the bus that flipped that killed 22 people um delayed the train for nine hours but we got from equivalent to miami to atlanta and we were supposed to get there in three hours. It, it, it took nine hours because of the delay, because of the accident. But I never felt safer. I, I love the travel. It's just trying to figure out the right bus because you hit these stations. It's like the subway in Atlanta. I mean, in uh, New York. Um, but it was incredible uh, seeing that experience. Well, 200 anyway. miles an hour. That's I'm, I can't equate. I mean, that's NASCAR speed. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like beyond. You don't even feel it, though. Like, really? And, and their government, Rome's government, was known for pre creating the infrastructure of the world, public bathrooms, roads. Uh, our local governments need to understand that we need a rail system like this. It'll keep Ferraris off the interstate going 92 miles an hour. I mean, if you think about it, it's safer, it's smarter, it's a better method to do it. And I enjoyed it. I got in a, a car and we sat in there and had a great time. It was four of us and we, we, it was like being, it was a different experience, but I found something unique. They don't tip over there. They don't like tips. They don't tip. When you go to eat your dinner, I went to sign a tip and they're like, no, we don't do tips here. And I said, well, let me give you a $20 bill, an American meal. They don't want our money. They said, no, thank you. We don't want American currency. Well, see, a lot of people don't tip. Is, it was started, it was a British thing, it stood for to ensure promptness. And what the original thing was, when you walked in, you put your $20 down before you got service. So right. the people that put the most money on the table got the best service. Not till you know, here in America, we flipped it where you judge them afterward if you liked them or not or whatever. So... Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, if you would, so I don't know if they still do that or not, but that's to ensure promptness yeah, is why we call they just it did, but they didn't want American currency. They did not want our American dollar. And why is that? I, I, I asked a guy and he said, number one, it doesn't exchange as good. And I said, but I'm giving you a 20 is extra. And he said, we just don't want it. We're a little concerned about y'all's economy. We're concerned about <laughs> the safety of the money and it's a hassle. And I looked at him and I said, but we're America. We're the greatest country in the world. And he said, we're Rome. We're Italy. We were in Rome when he said it. He said, we were Rome. We were the greatest country in the world. Yeah, been there, done that. Yeah, we, yeah. we've been there, done that. Y'all are <laughs> heading down our path. But you know, another thing real quick to tell you I thought was interesting. Venice, I went to Venice. I went to Milan. Milan is beautiful. Go to the Domo. Uh, biggest church built thousands of years ago. It's third largest in the world. We went to Venice. Venice is like Florida. It's underwater, but they've got buildings that have stood for 3,000 years that don't have our problems that we have. They don't have flooding in their streets except for I extreme times. I thought Venice times. did have flooding in the streets. They do, but it actually was always flooded. It's only, it's only extreme times, but <laughs> the problem, they've learned to move their water around in a good way. So 
they but they've got stuff standing and they've learned to make it work where we're in Florida, especially in our county. We're sitting just yesterday. We saw so much flooding. We've got to pay attention to infrastructure. Rome was known for that infrastructure. Also going to Rome, seeing the statues. We don't see, you know, they pray. These statues are beautiful. It's the Colosseum. I wouldn't have a job today if it wasn't for that Colosseum being built years ago. And, you know, I heard the history. They they built it and to bring people together. And that's what our sports and stadiums do. That Coliseum, even 3,000 years later, is nicer than the Jaguars one. Well, here, let's talk real quick here. And I know you got to catch a plane. Where are you going? I am going to Pittsburgh to see the Eagles concert with a bunch of clients. Oh. So I'm excited about that. Some of the food. And the then, real Eagles. The Eagles. The, yeah, Don Henley. And yeah. uh, I will miss the other. Uh, what's the guy that died? Um, uh, Glenn. Glenn. Uh, Glenn Fry. Glenn Fry. Yeah, we'll miss him being there. But okay, so um, let's talk about it. I thought, and I, I still think, that Jacksonville Stadium is a beautiful place. And now they're talking, they're going to tear it down. And I've heard that if, the ja- if they don't build a new stadium for the Jaguars, the Jaguars could go to London and be they will. the first There's no doubt. NFL team in a foreign country. Yeah, they will. There's no doubt. They're doing more games in London. They're doing uh, more this year. They're doing in in Germany. But but to make a long story short with it. So there would be no home games here in Jacksonville. <laughs> no, right? they'd all be home, but yeah. just yeah. in they've London. Got to, yeah. <laughs> they've got to make the stadiums. Atlanta's a perfect example. I do a lot with Mercedes-Benz Dome. Atlanta's a perfect example. It's an experience today. You go, you got music, you got food, you got entertainment, you got uh, sofas you can sit on, you're doing business. And if we don't make our stadiums more that way, people are going to stop going and they're going to start watching TV. It's all about an experience. And that's what my company puts together. All right. All right. Well, hey, we're out of time. We got to go. We're going to be checking in with retired Brigadier Army General Ernie Audino. You know, I do want to throw this too. I want to throw two things out. Norse Airline. It's amazing how cheap it is to fly to London. It was $130 each way to fly to London. Eight hours nonstop. Credible flight. And then Dave, I want to do another thing I, you guys we've got the greatest residents in florida and the greatest uh, people in the world here in flagler county i want to give you a pair of tickets to give away to the jacksonville jaguars colts game this weekend and i also want to start a dialogue and see if we can't do it on free for all do a big competition to where someone wins tickets to go to with me to london next year to see the jaguars play whoever because they're going to go every year when you would pay incredible. for their plane I will fare? Pay, my company will pay a hundred percent of all of it it'll be a two-people trip okay hotel room right. and, the, and the winner is yeah. brian and <laughs> you got like beer though um, but uh, i oh, would I'll like drink to, pints so i'm like, a bad influence for you yeah no but i don't care it doesn't bother me listen i'm the one to get us on the right train right, to okay. get home all right so hey we got to go so i'm um, all right okay because you're going to be in pittsburgh so you're going to give up your seats to the Jaguars game this weekend? It's the Colts. All right. So seriously. Yeah. We're going to give them away. Okay. So right now, because if you want to go to the Jaguars Colts game, not in London, but in (laughs) Jacksonville, um, how about be the first caller? Because we're going to need the phone line. So call right away right now. 206-9693. 206-9693. That's call us right now. 
and uh, we'll get you a couple of free tickets for the uh, Colts-Jaguars game. And they're good seats. And, well, if they're yours, I would hope so. I mean, But who do you sit by? Joe's friends? I don't know. I don't know <laughs> about that. Yeah, I'm the... bringing a bunch of London people over so you can be entertained. <laughs> so you can see them scream and yell. All right, we're going to take a break. Joe, travel safe. Thank you. 206-9693 right now. Give us a call, and uh, first one in, get some uh, free tickets for the uh, Jaguars. Phones are ringing. we got to take a break. Coming up next, we have a great American, retired Brigadier General, Army General, Ernie Audino. We're going to talk about the craziness going on. And uh, today, being uh, a worldwide jihad day, we're also going to check with our sheriff and what's happening to keep us safe in Flagler County. Have a good We'll be right back. Have a good one, Joe. Travel safe. Thanks a lot. Associates take no responsibility. It's lumpy, it's bumpy, and your driveway is dumpy. Call RD and Sons Paving. They've been paving since 1959. Driveways, walkways, stone and gravel, repairs too. They beat competitor prices. RD and Sons Paving, 386-302-3406. It's new, the Palm Coast Report. Your number one source for all local news, all in one place. Palm Coast Report. Local news you can trust. Truth meter verified. Follow on Facebook or online at palmcoastreport.com. You know what I like about people who drive Mercedes? They have an appreciation for quality. Hi, I'm Andy from Autohassel Palm Coast. If it has anything to do with Mercedes-Benz, we can do it. From maintenance and basic services to major repairs. If you or somebody you know owns a Mercedes-Benz, I would love for you to be my customer. I'm Andy. I'm in the Hardgrove Lane Industrial Park. You'll find me. Everybody else has. Or call me anytime. 585-4785. Auto House, Palm Coast. See this? It's a generator for your home. Never needs gas, no moving parts, and it's quiet as a church mouse. Hurricane or power outage headed our way? No worries now. It's a solar generator for your home that works day and night and pays for itself through energy savings and tax credit. Hi folks, this is Bill Gallagher with SolarFit. We're your Tesla certified Powerwall installer and the future is here. Give us a call today for all the details. 445-7606. SolarFit your life and set yourself free with the sun's free energy. It's lumpy, it's bumpy, and you're driveway is dumpy. Call RD and Sons Paving. They've been paving since 1959. Driveways, walkways, stone and gravel. Repairs too. They beat competitor prices. RD and Sons Paving. 386-302-3406. There's no way I can afford a new car. You're not alone. Keeping your car running safe and sound is what we do. Here at Quantum Tires and Auto Repair, a lot of people depend on us. Hi, I'm Bob Gordon. If you haven't had an oil change in a while or something just doesn't seem right, bring it in. Even if you're running short on money right now, bring it in anyway. The most important thing is your car is safe to drive. Quantum Tires and Auto Repair. Corner of State Road 11 and the railroad tracks. Downtown Bunnell. I wanted to come back to Pompos where I live, and they gave me the opportunity to work with them. What we're trying to do is really help provide more efficiency in how government officials are being able to see their data and so that they can also improve the type of um, decision-making. Improving business, improving lives. 
We are back. Free for all Friday. Congratulations to Scott Coleman. He is the, um, oh, Colvin, excuse me. Uh, anyway, uh, he's the winner for uh, Joe Mullins through his tickets for tomorrow or for Sunday's Jacksonville Jaguars Colts game. Anyway, so uh, moving on here, today is a national or world calling for world jihad. And with me right now is just a super guy. Actually, we have uh, Rick Staley, but also Brigadier General Ernie Audino, retired. Ernie, good morning. Hey, good morning, David. Hey, is Brian there, too? Brian's here, yep. Don't want to leave Brian out of it. Good morning, Brian. Hello, Ernie. Glad to talk to you again. And so, um, yeah, and we're going to... Ernie, by the way, I put your um, entire biography online because it would take 30 minutes to go through it all, but um, just what what a great American. You've served so many... Um, so many ways for this country and still are. I know you're uh, Mike Waltz's uh, right-hand man here in this region. You do a lot for for us, but your perspective of things is what I want to know about. So the reason why I have Rick Staley. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, David. So um, today they're calling for a World Day of Jihad. And, um, and I'm like, well, okay, well, what is jihad? I looked it up and everything, and they're asking basically to. So, Ernie, if you can tell us, what is jihad, first of all? And then we're going to ask Rick Staley, what does that mean to us here in Flagler County? Well, I can tell you, as, as I've experienced it on the battlefield, it is, uh, it is when uh, extremists um, within the religion of Islam uh, prosecute their aims by the sword, that's the term that has been used in the past, um, and uh, it is generally waged against uh, the non-believers, the unbelievers. And so, okay, and so in the Middle East, you know, we can say that's a whole different environment, but here in Florida and Flagler County in particular, um, Sheriff Staley, has there been any, any indication of that um, coming to the streets or... Um, or any we, threats against the Jewish community, I guess. So we we have no um, verifiable threats in Flagler County. Uh, yesterday I was on a call with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement with the sheriffs and the police chiefs of Florida, and then later yesterday I was on a call with the FBI and Department of Security uh, with uh, the sheriffs and police chiefs across the country. And clearly, um, you know, anytime somebody makes threats like this to, to um, you know, call to action, if you will, by these uh, terrorist cells, and, and we have terrorist cells in the United States, we would be naive if, if we didn't think that, open border and, and everything else that is going on. Um, so what I have direct, no known, identified, verifiable threats to Flagler County, um, uh, those conference calls on yesterday. Uh, but despite that, uh, and as soon as the attack uh, to Israel, and I've been to Israel for training uh, about 15 years ago, and I've been right up to the Gaza Strip and still know exactly where all, all this is occurring. Um, but what I... Uh, was we initially increased uh, patrols around any of our uh, religious, specifically uh, the Jewish uh, synagogues uh, and facilities that they have in Flagler County. And we have did that throughout and reinforced it again yesterday for our patrols today. So, you know, I have an internal 
Homeland Security section. We have a criminal intelligence unit, uh, and we monitor to the best uh, that we can with our uh, state and federal partners on what is going on at our county. And so if he has any information on what the community can do, if they hear something or see something, they need to say something so we can vet it. Uh, we take every every tip seriously, and we vet it. Okay. And cause usually there are indicators uh, that they they leave behind. And, and some of the information that we received today, uh, there were some indicators on what was going to occur in Israel uh, weeks leading up, and then figure out where where mistakes were made ultimately. But right now, you know how has been Hamas has been around Hezbollah has been around and it's time to crush them uh, because they are like everybody's saying ISIS related group you can see that with the tactics beheadings and so forth okay all right Rick hey well thank you appreciate you and all the men and women of the uh, Flagler County Sheriff's Department keeping us safe I appreciate that uh, because I think a lot of people are wondering what does this all mean to us here you know, locally right in our backyard. So thank you for that. We're going to let you go, and then we're going to be talking with, with uh, uh, General. You want to say uh, good morning to uh, General Ernie? I do. Good morning, General. We appreciate partnership with you and Congressman Waltz. And, uh, and Brian, don't want to leave you out either. Hey, thanks a lot, Sheriff. All right. Take okay. care, Sheriff. You're, you're a great battle buddy. All right. Thank you. All right. So, um, uh, so, um, Ernie, I guess I should, I feel like I shouldn't call you Ernie. I should be calling you general. Um, anyway, so retired Brigadier (laughs) Army General Ernie Adino officially right now. Welcome to the program. No, thanks, Dave. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. All right. Okay. So he just mentioned intelligence breakdown on it. Um, how could that happen with Israel being, um, you know, so such a top-notch military force, and you yourself are in uh, army intelligence and defense and everything. What do you think? How did that go bad? Yeah, it's 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 hard it's hard to imagine a failure like this uh, at this point. But clearly, something happens. You know, I know Israel's got all types of high-tech um, surveillance assets, intelligence assets, reconnaissance assets. But there's also the human element. I mean, I mean, well, let me back up. We've got similar assets as well. We constantly collect intelligence, but there's a human element to all of this, and, and I'm not making an excuse, believe me, but this is a condition. Humans can be overwhelmed by the sheer amount of intelligence. That could have been a factor. It also could have been a factor that um, this was on, on Saturday when folks were thinking about um, family um, and, uh, um, and the synagogue. So, you know, who knows? Who knows? But there was definitely a breakdown, and I think it was a human breakdown. So, you know, and I think what we're all still stunned about, and, I, you know, I wake up in the morning, I still can't even believe that something like that would happen. I mean, clearly, you know, it's like, okay, well, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Who are we cheering for? Who do we want to see lose? And to me, it's the uh, the Hamas militants are the I mean, anybody that would cross over and go into homes and and murder kids in front of their parents and parents in front of their kids and and um, an attack, you know, innocent people having fun at a concert. I mean, it doesn't get more evil than that. So clearly they're the enemy. I mean, I guess unless you're them, you're saying, no, we're not. But so why did this happen? And why did it happen just now? Well, well, just, the first answer to just now 
I think the most plausible explanation is that in the last several months, there's been a growing normalization of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia. I mean, they were talking about uh, mutual defense agreements. They were talking about security cooperation. And the last thing in the world Tehran wants is, uh, is a, a partnership, a defense partnership between Saudi Arabia and Israel. you got to keep in mind. You know, there are two poles in the Islamic world, and one is, is the, the, the center of the Shia world is there in Tehran, and the center of the Sunni world is there in Saudi Arabia. So basically, it's part of the conquer and divide, because, you know, people, the, the Solinsky kind of thing, like you don't want, you know, here, like even in this country, you know, there's forces to separate. They don't want to see whites and blacks get along. They don't want to see young and old get along. They don't want to see North and South get along. They don't, and they do everything they can to, to keep these people from getting along. Is that, is that same human mentality of um, we don't want to see peace and harmony? Yeah, well, that's part of it. The other part of it is Hamas has never recognized the Israeli state. They have expressly rejected the concept of a two-state solution. They are sworn, just as is Tehran, the Ayatollahs in Tehran, to the destruction of the Israeli state. I mean, I mean, you can't compromise with that. What, where's the compromise? That, I think it's it's a really it seems like an impossible situation. There's been so many attempts at peace talks, you know, over the over the decades ever since. Um, one question I have is, what is the relationship between Hamas and the Palestinian people? Because I imagine most people in Palestine are just trying to go to work, raise their kids, you know, come home and have dinner. And, it, you know, are what, what's they're the ones in the crossfire at this point, you know, to some extent. What what what's their relationship to Hamas and what do you think should be done to try to you know limit civilian casualties? Well, two big questions here. Well, let me let me tackle the first one like this. So, give you a little history. Um, but you know, like like any area where you've got um, you've got factions and groups, they don't represent everybody. So, I accept the fact that Hamas does not reject uh, does not um, represent everybody in in uh, the Gaza Strip, and history would sort of bear that out because. After the, uh, the 73 war, and, 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 and then uh, I think it was in 79, as Israel and Egypt um, were negotiating a peace agreement. Remember, Israel had seized. After the, the, the surrounding Arab nations had attacked um, Israel simultaneously, they had, their, their attack positions were the Sinai Peninsula, the Golan Heights, the West Bank. Um, and when Israel successfully defeated all of them simultaneously, they very wisely seized those areas from which these attacks were launched. That's strategic terrain. And, uh, and Israel holds on to the West Bank and the Golan Heights to this day. But with Egypt, Egypt had a long history with Islamist jihadis since around the early 1920s when the granddaddy of the modern jihadi groups, the Muslim Brotherhood was founded in Cairo specifically to oppose secular rule in um, in, in the domain of Islam in Egypt specifically. So, so the Egyptian government had been fighting this ongoing problem with these groups ever since, and much of their activities they were finding support through you know in, in, in um, tactical support throughout the Sinai Peninsula. So, so. 
they re- Egypt, Cairo, and, and and Israel realized they had a common interest in quashing these groups. So part of the peace agreement was, hey, look, we'll give you back the Sinai in exchange for peace with Cairo. And Cairo said, yeah, and we'll let you into the into the Sinai if you have to hit these groups because you know we can use all the help we can. But you know when Egypt said said we'll take back Sinai, you know what they said they didn't want back Gaza. Uh, you know, and they said, you know, for Gaza, uh, we'd rather not have it back. You guys keep it. Well, well, that's a fact. And um, so then the Palestine Liberation Organization was in there, um, and they, after the Israeli withdrawal out of those occupied, the, the occupation out of Gaza in, I think, the mid-2000s, so it turned it over to the PLO. Okay, guys, here, you run it. Well, the first thing that happened was... Um, the extremists there destroyed the power plants. They destroyed the uh, water distribution. They destroyed agriculture, et cetera, et cetera. Why? Who knows why they did it? But they just did it. Um, and after a period of time, PLO couldn't handle this. So they t- said, you know what, Hamas? We're tired of this. We're withdrawing. So now it's in Hamas's hands, and Hamas is trying to impose their rule. Um, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta accept that there are some folks in the Gaza Strip that that don't adhere to um, Hamas's ideology. Now, the Hamas um, army, I've, I've heard, was only like five thousand fighters is all they have. Is that true? Like it's a relatively small amount. Of... It's a relatively small amount, yeah. But the thing with, you know, irregular warfare as conducted by something like Hamas or guerrilla warfare, unconventional warfare. You know, it's, it's an economy of force. They strike, they find vulnerabilities, whether they're civilians or not, and they try to achieve disproportionate effect, you know, you know effect that's grossly disproportionate to the assets they've employed. So, hence, the targeting of innocent villages, a kibbutz, Far Aza, a place I visited just about you know, several months ago, last year, the very kibbutz where those 40 babies were slaughtered. Um, and, uh, and that's the type of thing these terrorists and Hamas do. It's easy for them to do that. Well, they're going to get crushed now when they're going to go up against the Israeli defense forces. So if, if uh, and that, that's the terminology that, that the Israeli government is using now, it's very aggressive and stark, you know, we're going to just eliminate any military capability that Hamas could have. But if if they're being so unconventional, if they're essentially now, you know, we struck and now we're going to go, you know, basically disappear into the into the population, essentially back into Palestine, it seems like that's sort of similar to what happened in Afghanistan, where we're trying to go over and take out the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda, but really they're they're, uh, they kind of disappear into the caves, you know, and I, I might be miss, I might be, you know, confusing these things a little bit, but, but to, to go and try to take, take it out, it's like we get, we get stuck in a, in a long-term situation where, um, it's not so easy to take out a whole entity because they're not all in one place. They're all scattered. And they don't wear uniforms. Yeah. So how, you know. how do we, how does Israel go in and take out this, this organization if they're, it, it, is that a similar situation, or how would you how would you assess the situation? All right, well, let me, let me give you an analogy. So, ISIS kind of did the same thing, um, and we destroyed ISIS as an organization. Now, destroying the ideology, defeating the ideology, um, that's a longer term proposition. You know, we're we're, we're 
we're still in the middle of that. And, and, uh, and we've got, you know, our voice doesn't speak loudly um, in that debate, but we have many moderate uh, Muslim partners who are participating in that debate uh, to undermine the extremist ideology. And those are the sorts of partners that we, we need to um, help and secure and, and promote. That's the voice we need, right? But um, any organization can be destroyed. ISIS was an organization, and it was destroyed. Um, I'm, I'm confident Hamas will be destroyed. None of this is an easy proposition. And the armchair generals out there, especially here in the United States, are accustomed to war as an event, you know, with a, with a neat start date and a neat end date. And, you know, and when it's over, everybody goes home and they go back to their normal lives. Well, in this part of the world, war has kind of become a condition, like the weather, you know? Um, and maybe because it's a different sort of war uh, to how we understand it here, to the average American, maybe it means there's a different type of victory. Well, maybe victory is the willingness and ability to continue to push back against this. Um, and I'll tell you what, but if we give up, if, if the Israelis give up, and I don't think they will, but if they give up, then they'll definitely know what defeat is. Is this, um, uh, you know, I can't help but think, oh, I mean, Putin's got to be going, oh, yeah, this is great. Or was he behind this? Because there's another, you know, conquer and divide where, okay, now it diverts the attention from Ukraine, diverts money and assets from Ukraine. Um, our country already, look at our Congress. It's really pathetic that, um, you know, that here we are, supposedly all Americans on the same team can't get along to it. But, I mean, is this, um, is this part of the strategy for uh, for? Uh, Putin to defund the Americans, you know, support of Ukraine? Oh, that's a great question, because, uh, you know, that requires a good grand strategy uh, from the United States uh, to uh, to combat that. And, uh, and unfortunately, speak, you know, I wish I could take credit for this statement, but um, speaking of grand strategy in the United States is like speaking of stakes in Ireland. Um, but we, we need we need some adults in the room to understand that on a grand strategic level, our adversaries in Moscow, Beijing, Tehran, Pyongyang, they all want to present multiple simultaneous dilemmas to the United States. Yes, they, they want to, in your terms, divert our attention. But, you know, before we close today, we really need to talk about Iran, because Iran is also part of the, uh, the objective to destroy Hamas. We need to talk about Iran. Well, okay, well, yeah, I mean, were they the mastermind? I heard, oh, uh, Iran was surprised by this. That almost seems laughable. Yeah, yeah, well, you hear a lot of that out of Hamas and out of the Hamas caucus here in the United States. Um, but, you know, if I'd ask you this question. If if Hamas is, is so ready to cut the head off a baby, um, why should we think they'd be reluctant to lie to the West, right? I mean, I don't, I don't take anything they say at all for truth. So um, don't listen to that. Well, we, don't take, we don't take anything out of Washington on our own guys yeah. as the truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Iran has enabled this. Iran has been very steadily setting the conditions for an ultimate showdown with Israel. And when President Obama withdrew... 
all combat U.S. combat power from Iraq in December of 2011. Iran stepped up immediately as the greatest power in that region, period, exclamation point. They immediately co-opted the southern 60% of Iraq. They've occupied and taken over all of the ministries in Iraq, um, including the prime minister himself. The late Qasem Soleimani, who is now pushing up daisies because of Donald Trump, rightly so, he boasted before his death that, quote, the Iraqi army has become a Hezbollah army, end quote. Think of that. It's now larger than ever with the, the uh, Iranian proxy Shia militias throughout Iraq, at least 110,000, and they've just been given an appropriation out of the Iraqi parliament, uh, Council of Ministers, to double their size. Tehran then established a land corridor immediately all the way across the Iraqi border, across Syria, to the shores of the Mediterranean and to the borders of their Hezbollah allies in Lebanon. For the first time since the Persian Empire, 400 B.C., Tehran has meaningful military presence on the shores of the Mediterranean. They just signed a, a lease for a naval facility on the eastern Mediterranean. Oh, by the way, it's right next to the Russian naval base at Tartus. And Russia has put an air base there on the eastern Mediterranean as well. That went in during the, uh, the Obama years. They, they've got S-400 missiles there that range up 250 miles into the Mediterranean. So, so that is a land corridor um, that is on the north side of, of, uh, of Israel, and it's used to supply and cadre and, and, uh, and train Hezbollah operatives throughout Lebanon. So that's the land corridor. They've got a, a maritime corridor, too, from Tehran um, around Yemen. They've got Yemen, by the way, you know, large portions of Yemen. The Bab al-Mandab, the, the, the choke point that's uh, at the south end of the Red Sea, through the Suez Canal and on to the Mediterranean. And, oh, by the way, Tehran is trying to establish a naval base uh, in Yemen as well. Brian, go ahead. And, um, they, and they had an air corridor that went straight to Damascus and Aleppo. And guess what? The Israelis struck those two days ago, those airports. And incidentally, there was an aircraft inbound from Tehran at that moment with the Iranian foreign minister on board. It had to turn around because it had no place to land. And so while Iran, while Israel shut down the air corridor, the United States could be doing more to constrain and constrict those other corridors, the maritime corridor and the land corridor. We've got boots on the ground already in, in Syria. We can begin to start constricting that land corridor, that land bridge. It's practically a highway. And we can start positioning assets both off of the Mandab and off of the Straits of Hormuz. By the way, that'll prevent Iran from exporting its oil. It's exporting more oil now than in recent memory. How does that happen? Brian? So, yeah, you're kind of already answering somewhat what I was asking, but, um, like, you know, I guess I was sparked by the question. So Obama's, you know, withdrew the troops, and I think that there are some people that probably felt like that was good, like, how long are we going to stay? Um, do you think that we need to put troops back in, and what does that look like? And how does, what is our what is our big strategy? You're saying, like, constrict the, you know, their ability to, trade or to you know to travel there but how do we exactly do that without you know starting our own war 
Oh, well, no, the, 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 yeah. I mean, we need to put some assets off Bob Omadab. We need to put some naval assets off the Straits of Hormuz. Um, we've got sufficient surveillance and intelligence to be able to identify and target Iranian vessels that are supplying um, Hamas uh, are, and, and exporting Iranian oil. We can shut down their oil. Yeah. And the threat of it, the, the threat of those U.S. warships out there will make that a credible threat. Uh, I, I, I add this, by the way. In 1988, Iran itself threatened to mine the Straits of Hormuz to prevent um, Western vessels from trading in, in oil out of, out of the region. And President Reagan told the Ayatollahs, you know, that's not a good idea. Well, the Ayatollahs went ahead and mined it anyway. We launched Operation Praying Mantis, and we sunk half the Iranian Navy. Nobody remembers that. But guess what? Tehran stopped mining the uh, Straits of Hormuz. So threats like that in the future, in the near future, are going to have an effect. And Iran is enabling Hamas. We have got to help our Israeli friends and partners and allies. Uh, they shut down the air corridor. Uh, we can help constrain at least the maritime and the overland corridors that support Hamas and Hezbollah. General Adino, I've, I've got to say, you know, like I've, I've, I want to feel like America is the brightest, the sharpest, the smartest, the strongest uh, country in the world that, um, that exports, uh, you know, love and peace and strength and commerce and all these sort of things to it. But it's like a, it's harder and harder to feel that way. Is there any good news about America that we, we're not hearing? Yeah, well, I mean, I you know, in the northern part of Iraq, I gotta say, you know, where the Kurds are, and I've got a lot of time with the Kurds. In the northern part of Iraq, they emerge as what we had hoped for the rest of Iraq. The, the, the Kurdish people have the most peaceful, most prosperous, the the freest peace of Iraq, and they love Americans, and they've been great partners, and they were the main effort in the war to defeat ISIS. Um, that's a shining example of what could have happened elsewhere okay all right so then one quick thing here we're going to run a little bit over but i wanted to ask you about our open borders and uh you know and sleeper cells and terrorists coming in and uh, plus we give them cell phones so they can communicate with each other once they get here does that keep you up at night on on uh, who's right in our backyard like the enemy within yeah no it doesn't keep me up but it's definitely a concern it's an absolute concern. You, you can't have a nation without secure borders. That, that's insane. All right. All right. Well, hey, we could talk all day. Retired Brigadier General Arm, Ernest Adino. This is the Army General. Let me make sure we get the right thing there on it. But And thank you for what you're doing for us here in our uh, district, working with Congressman. Well, every time I hear... And when we have Michael Waltz on this program and everything, I'm like, God, what a smart, sharp guy. I mean, I wish he was running this country. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you too. All right. All right. Well, hey, have a good weekend. And uh, thank you for uh, being there for us and our audience. And don't you have a podcast, uh, don't you, Ernie? You still, no, no, I don't. I, I thought don't. you did. I thought you had like a little a show or something you were doing, a podcast. Or yeah, no, I'm writing a book you know, about my, my time with uh, the Curtis Fighters. 
Okay. All right. Okay. Well, let us know about that. And uh, once again, uh, really appreciate everything you've done for our country and and uh, combat veteran. And just look on uh, the WNZF Facebook page and see what a, what a great guy and what a great American um, our Brigadier General Ernie Audino really is. And honored to have you on the program. Well, my, my privilege. Thanks so much, David. And thanks for the opportunity. All right. Take care. Take care, Brian. You too. All right. Well, hey, I'm glad. Um, Oh, yeah, Creekside Festival. Good to see you out there. Absolutely. And uh, everybody, $26,000 we raised for the, um, uh, Let's the see. Family, life <laughs> family Life Center. Center. I know. Right. I've got a thing on that. <laughs> anyway, so uh, thank you, everybody that came out and uh, paid the 10 bucks to get in. We could do some great things for our community with that, and um, we appreciate that. So anyway, we're going to go, and uh, we got uh, high school football tonight live right here on WNZF. Also, Jacksonville Jaguars. Congratulations to Scott Colbert. Colvin. Colvin, thank you. All right, for uh, winning the tickets and for Joe Mullins uh, swinging by with that. Have a good one. Take care. Be safe. For over a decade, WNZF, 1550 AM, 94.9 FM, and W235CW Benel.